another great episode of Dream Business Radio. I'm your host, Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and this is the podcast to learn how to create your dream business so you, too, can live your dream lifestyle. I'm the founder and creator of the Dream Business Academy and the Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind Program. I coach entrepreneurs and small business owners at all levels how to build the business of their dreams. Today's episode is brought to you by the Dream Business Academy. That's a three-day live event. Our next one, which is our seventh, is taking place in Providence, Rhode Island. Beautiful, beautiful country. September 27th, 28th, and 29th. This is a marketing and business building event where you, too, will learn how to create a million-dollar platform, which is exactly how I've grown my many businesses. Learn more at dreambizacademy.com. By the way, we have early registration discounts right now, and and you can get $100 off your, your registration, even $100 off early registration if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout. Again, PODCAST is the coupon code at dreambizacademy.com. That'll save you 100 bucks. I'm really excited about this week's show, folks. My special guest is somebody that uh, recently interviewed me, and he is known as the sales wizard, <laughs> Hugh Little. Let me briefly introduce you, and we'll bring him right on. Hugh Little is known as the sales wizard at Red Cap Sales Coaching and Elite Sales Academy, where you can learn to make selling easy, fun, and profitable. In fact, Hugh guarantees that you can double your sales and income in 90 days or less. Got to ask him about that. Hugh's sales training and coaching comes from over 47 years of in-the-field sales and sales management experience, so you get real-life experience from his teaching, not something uh, just basically coming out of a textbook. Hugh is the author of a book called Take the Icky and Scary Out of Sales, which is available in paperback and Kindle at Amazon.com. He is also a radio uh, show host. His show is called Sales Chalk Talk. It is produced every week and available on SoundCloud and on iTunes. And when Hugh isn't teaching salespeople, he's home um, in Sebring, Florida, with his wife Priscilla, dog Jasmine, Mooch, and Minnie the Cat. <laughs> Hugh has six children, 12 grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. So he evidently was a great salesman right there. <laughs> he plays guitar <laughs> and bass, sings, writes music, and records it. He's an all-around good man who loves to watch Shark Tank on Saturday mornings. Hugh, how are you doing? Mighty fine, and thanks for having me on the show today, Jim. Well, it's my pleasure. You know, uh, you interviewed me, I forget when, I do so many, but I said, man, I really like that. You. There's a guy who not only knows his craft and his business, but he's got a good sense of humor and a good outlook on life. Uh, so I said, i got to get you on my program, so I appreciate your coming on. All right. Now, Hugh, I think I read... 47 years of in-the-field experience. What are you, like 90 right now? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> No, I'm only 69. Only 69, <laughs> but I got really depressed when I turned 65 because I realized that half my life was over. My goal is to die at age 125 shot by a jealous husband. <laughs> oh, my God. See, there you go. That's why I knew I wanted to get you on the program. So first thing <laughs> I need to ask you is um, – so you're doing your radio show now, and I know you know you've sold and had a lot of experience. Uh, I think anybody that sells, whether or not you're a you know working for a company or not, is an entrepreneur because typically when you're selling, you're only getting paid when you're selling something. So 
Um, where did where did either the entrepreneurial gene come from, or or your ability to sell? Was that was that early on in your childhood? You had to you had to sell to survive, or how did you develop that initially? Well, I got out of the Air Force in 1970 and had a number of different job opportunities when I got out, and decided that I wanted to go into sales because. There was no ceiling on the amount of money that I could make, and I've always been a pretty outgoing guy, and I just thought it would be a lot of fun and that I would just laugh my way to the bank every single week and make a gazillion dollars really fast and retire by the time I was 30. And uh, I was in for a rude shock because it didn't exactly turn out that way. Uh <laughs> I found out that selling was a whole lot more difficult than I thought it was, and it was really frustrating for a while because I would look around and see other people doing really well at sales, and uh, I wasn't. And eventually, over a period of time, I found some mentors, some on, now Jim, you're not going to believe this, some on record albums, for those of you oh my who goodness. are young and don't know what a record album is, it's this thing that's made out of plastic and it goes around in a circle on a turntable and there's a needle that scratches it and it makes sound. So I listened to Earl Nightingale and I listened to Charlie Tremendous Jones and Zig Ziglar and just a whole bunch of different people. That helped a lot. And I also had some really good mentors along the way who helped me and taught me and eventually I learned how to sell, but it took me quite a long time. It took me a number of years to get to the point where I was even doing fairly well in sales, and it took a lot longer than that to get to the stage where I am now. So, you know, I call myself the sales wizard, and the only reason that I'm the sales wizard is that uh, I, I never gave up. I never quit, and eventually well. I got really good at what I do. So there's so much to sale, and you're right, not quitting is, is the first thing. So, you know, there's a lot of people who talk about um, prospecting, cold calling. There's a lot of people who uh, teach, you know, I don't want to say the theatrics, but the right way to present, you know, to, to lead somebody down the path, so to speak, show value. And then there's people who specialize on closing. Did any one aspect of that whole uh, uh, sales dance that we all have to do was any one aspect of that either uh, your Achilles heel or did you really find out wow I'm really good at this or are you just a good all around sales wizard I think the the most difficult thing probably was finding people to talk to asking for appointments and asking for the sale and asking for referrals, and, of course, the, the common ground there is ask. And that's one of the most important things in selling because if you don't ask, you don't receive. You know, Jesus of Nazareth said, if you ask, you'll receive. Well, the opposite is true. And I think that all of us have a, a fear to some extent of what other people are going to think about us if we do certain things. And... That's one of the reasons that people are fearful of selling sometimes. And, and, you know, you hear people say all the time, oh, I would never want to be in sales. Oh, that just wouldn't be good. And part of the reason for that is that they think people will think less of them if they ask for an appointment. 
Well, if I ask for an appointment, they'll think I'm bothering them. Or if I ask for the sale, they'll think I'm being pushy and aggressive. Or if I ask for a referral, uh, they'll think that I'm trying to take advantage of them. And, and the fact is that we make up things in our heads that just aren't true. You know, Mark Twain said one time that he was an old man and had seen much trial, trouble, and tribulation in his life, most of which never happened. And it's absolutely amazing what happens when you start asking for an appointment, for a sale, for a referral, and even even in uh, answering objections, asking questions is the way to do it. So asking right. is really important. I'm curious. I want to ask you a couple of questions. First one is, um, when did say? Because you've been in it so long. When did sales or being a salesperson become almost like a negative? You know what I mean? I don't think it was always like that. Of course, I. You know, uh, in the '70s and '80s, I think it used to be, oh, used car salesman. God forbid, you ever sold used cars. <laughs> that seemed to be the the handle for the low end of the totem pole. But when did being in sales ever have such a negative? negative connotation well I think it happened over the years and um, I'll, I'll tell you when I first started in sales about 1972 I think it was I went to my first big sales convention type thing and they had this whole line of speakers like they do at the get motivated uh, events now and there was one speaker who came out, and he walked up to the front of the stage, put his hand in his pocket. He looked out at five or 6,000 people sitting out in this arena, and he said, your prospects have your money in their pockets, and your job is to do everything short of going to jail to get the money out of their pockets and into yours. And unfortunately, mm. that's how selling was taught, and it's, it was the attitude, it was the mindset, it was the intention uh, back in those days. You know, you go get their name on the dotted line and you get a check and you do and say anything you need to to do that. And I think when things started to change, Jim, is with the, the advent of the Internet and people being able to to Google and to find out about companies, about salespeople, uh, about just to get information about any particular aspect of of business or products or services. And so things really started to change and it started moving into more of a relationship kind of thing and finding out what people really wanted and needed. And then if if you could provide that, providing it. I think that changed considerably when when the Internet came along and buyers are so much more sophisticated now than than they were. You better believe that if you contact somebody and schedule a time to meet with them, they will have Googled you and they will have checked you out stem to stern before you ever have the conversation. They'll already know what you do. They will have read testimonials. And that's why, uh, Jim, your marketing is so terribly, terribly important. Marketing and sales kind of go together like peas and carrots, as Forrest Gump is famous for saying, because um, when you market to people and when you when you write copy that lets people know what's really in it for them to work with you, um, they already will, will have checked and they will already will know. And it's very important what you have out there on your website, social media pages, the posts, the emails that you do. 
everything that goes out of your office um, has got to be top drawer because you're going to get checked out. Yeah, I All definitely right? agree with that. You know what's interesting is that uh, I'm trying to think in the I think in the 1980s I was in the bike business for a while, and that's when mail order catalogs really started coming on. Um, there were different companies getting into the mail, and I think mail order business and mail order catalogs was the precursor to the internet. So yeah. all of a sudden, you know, customers would come into our store, and we were viewed as the experts, and we had all the knowledge. And next thing you know, people were coming in fully briefed on what kind of uh, you know aluminum wheels you wanted, and all different things. And it's because they were able to get start getting all this information because they're pouring over their their specialty magazines, kind of like the, you know, probably three decades before that, they're pouring over the Sears and Robot catalog. Exactly. Yeah, and then then as you said, Hugh, the Internet came along, and now you can Google anything and find out all the different places it's for sale, what the prices are. You know, I hear Stephanie and I are kind of new to living on our boat, and I'm I'm always on the forums, you know, in uh, boating forums and learning about different things on the boat and how they work and, it's it's just amazing at the information. So what do you think in this uh, 21st century, what's the most important part of, of uh, selling today? I think it's taking things offline and having a, a one-to-one conversation with people. Uh, there are a lot of people who try to sell over the Internet, and I have a program out uh, on the Internet, and there are people who buy that program most of the time, though, they at least have a pretty good idea of who I am. If they haven't talked to me personally, they've at least heard me on a webinar. Uh, they, they have some knowledge of who I am because without the no like, and trust factor, it's very hard to sell well and to sell consistently. And so it's not enough just to have uh, five or 6,000 connections on LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever, uh, how many of those people can we actually have conversations with and how quickly can you take things offline and have a conversation um, on uh, virtually or over the telephone or in person because the know, like, and trust factor is absolutely huge still when it comes to sales. The buyers are more sophisticated but it, they will go down the street and pay more for an inferior product to yours because they know, like, and trust the person that they're buying from down there, and they don't know, like, or trust you. So I yeah. think that's absolutely key. I, I agree with you. What do you think is the most important skill a salesperson has to develop in, in order to get uh, really great at selling? This might surprise some folks, but... Um, You've you've heard people say things like, well, that guy has the gift of gab. He could sell ice boxes to Eskimos. He should be in sales. And there's a perception that you have to be a really good talker and that you have to be able to tell people things and you have to be able to convince and manipulate people. And from my perspective, talking and telling are not the most important skills in sales. It's first of all asking really good open-ended questions. Uh, Open-ended questions are questions that can't be answered yes or no. They have to talk to you and give you information. And 
you have to get down on the emotional level with people in the questions that you ask because buying decisions are made emotionally. They're not made with the head. They're made with the heart. And so the second skill that goes right along with asking the good open-ended questions and asking questions about how people feel and what they want and what they want their business to look like and what their goals are and what their biggest challenges are, all of those kinds of things, a good salesperson has to listen very, very carefully with their ears, with their mind, and with their heart. And if we can really connect with people on that level and find out what they really want, and if our product or service can give that to them and, and we can talk to them about what they can have if they work with us, then our conversion rates go up, our sales go up, our incomes go up. It's, it's phenomenal what happens when we start asking questions and listening on that level. Absolutely. So, Hugh, as I mentioned earlier, you wrote a book called Take the Icky and Scary Out of Sales. <laughs> Yep. Like Working on the third edition right now. Oh, good for you. Uh, chapter 9 is Ask and Ye Shall Receive. Two simple questions. Do you care to share at least one of those questions? <laughs> if everybody well, promises to buy the book, would you share at least one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, that, I think that one of the most important questions is um, – uh, Essentially, where does it hurt is is one of the questions that you've that you've got to have the answer to. If you don't know what's going on with people, if you don't know what their challenges are, see there's there's two things that that you're going to find with every prospect that you talk with. And by the way, if they give you the time to have a sales conversation with you, there is either something that is not in their life or their business that they want there or there's something in their life or their business that they don't want there and they want to get rid of. And so the questions that you ask, the most important questions have to do with what is it? What is that what is that thing that you want that you don't have or that you have and you don't want? And what we're looking for as we're, as we're asking questions, we're trying to find out whether our product or service is a good fit for them and whether they're a good fit for us. I agree with that. Hugh, um, you know, the, uh, the objections, the objectional, you know, you trial close, trial close, then you start getting the object. When I think of uh, – people getting into the objection phase, that's when it starts becoming like a tit-for-tat thing, like objection, you answer, objection, answer it. How do you take control when somebody gets into that uh, stated objection, stated answer? How does somebody regain control of the momentum? It all goes back to asking questions. And so I teach uh, a framework of four steps when an objection comes up because the first thing you have to understand is that an objection is not a no an objection is that your prospective client is seeing an obstacle to having what they want 
because if you've ha- if you've had a good sales conversation, if you've done it right, you already know what they want and need. You've already talked with them about the fact that they can have it, and they've already told you that they'd trust you to provide what they need. Now you've asked them to take action and trade their resources for your product or service, and they're seeing an obstacle. There's only two real objections, and the real objections are time and money. There's three blow-off objections, and the blow-off objections are I want to think about it, i got to talk to somebody, and I'm going to get quotes from three or four different people, and if you win the beauty contest, I'll call you. And so what I, the framework that I teach is, first of all, empathize. You know what? I can appreciate that. I think everybody is watching their budgets nowadays. I know I sure am at my office in my house, and it's important to get the most value we possibly can out of every dollar we invest in our businesses. So I understand exactly what you're saying. Let me ask you this and then ask a question. And depending on the objection, there are a variety of questions that you can ask. And that's where the that's where the control comes back. And you're not controlling the conversation and you're not controlling their decision, but you are controlling the direction of the conversation because you want to lead them to a place where they tell you yes or no, where they can make a buying decision, whether it's yes or whether it's no. It's better to hear no than maybe. So that's what you're attempting to do. So the second step is to ask, ask questions. The third step is to try to help them find a solution and to help them find a way to take advantage of your product or service and then ask for the sale again. And really, it's just a mini sales conversation, because in a sales conversation, you build rapport, you ask questions, you help them find a solution to the problem that they're having or the goal that they want, and then you ask them for the sale. Now there's an objection, so you're going to do the same thing, but it's in miniature. You're just dealing with finding the obstacle that they're seeing and trying to help them find a way around it. And the objective for having that conversation doesn't ever change if you're doing it right. And the objective is always that you want to help the prospect do what they want to do. Selling is not about the salesperson getting the prospect to do what the salesperson wants them to do or even thinks they should do. It's about helping them do what they want to do. And that doesn't change when an objection comes up. It just means they're seeing an obstacle. They don't know how to get around it. Well, let's see if we can help find a way around it. And that's what answering objections is about from my standpoint. Yeah, that's really great, man. That's a very important. uh, People should rewind the tape and listen to that again, as they say. Hugh, I want to ask you about um, follow-through, follow-up, follow-through. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember um, I remember I took a marketing course in like 1977, and it said the average salesperson needs to follow up six to eight times. I think mm-hmm. it's probably like, you know, two or three times that today just probably. because of the amount of noise and obstru- objects, ob- or, uh, distractions and things like that. Well, what do you think about following up, how often and things like that? I think that... It depends on the person that you're talking with and 
the reaction that you're getting. Um, somebody said to me on a, a podcast, that an interview that I was doing not too long ago, that um, negotiations always continue until somebody says no. And so if I'm if I'm following up with somebody, I'll probably follow up with them um, four or five times. And if if they don't respond and if they if they don't buy, um, then they go on a, a list where maybe every 90 days they'll get something from me, and then maybe I'll do another campaign and I'll send them another four or five emails. And then they go back on the follow-up list. And unless they unsubscribe, they'll continue to get things from me. If they unsubscribe, well, then that's fine. They don't want to hear from me anymore, and, and that's okay. See, from my perspective, what we're looking for in in sales and in follow-up is we're out looking for people who are looking for us. Uh, I'm not I'm not looking to be the jackass whisperer. You know, if somebody doesn't think that sales coaching is a good deal and that it's really valuable, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to convince them that, that that it is and that they really should work with me because there are tons and tons of people out there who really are looking for me. They they really do want to do business with me and it's the same with all of you who are listening, it's the same way with your business. So go out and find the people who need what you have and are looking for you, and don't worry about uh, the people who don't want to work with you or have all kinds of excuses or don't return your telephone calls or your emails or whatever. Follow up with them until they unsubscribe, but don't don't worry about them. Don't concentrate on them. Now, once you have a sales conversation with somebody, um, whether they say yes or whether they say no, follow-up is extremely important because you want to stay top of mind. Even the people who tell you no and don't do business with you when you have a sales conversation with them, stay in touch with them. Send them cards. Send them articles. Invite them to webinars. Just make a telephone call every now and again and say, hi, I was thinking about you today, wondered how everything's going. Don't try to sell them anything. Stay top of mind because six months or a year or a year and a half down the road, they may realize that they have uh, an absolutely burning need for what you have available. And if you've stayed top of mind, they'll get back in touch with you. And not only that, but everybody that you talk with knows at least 250 people. I know that's true because it's the average number of people that go to a wedding or a funeral. So if you know each other well enough to watch each other get married and buried, um, you know each other pretty well. And there very well could be ideal prospects for you among the people that those people know. If you stay top of mind, and let's say Joe and Sally are having a conversation over lunch one day, and she says, you know, I just don't know what to do. This marketing thing just just kills me to death. You know, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. It seems like I've tried everything. You know, if I was having that conversation with somebody, I very well might say, hey, you know, you need to call us Jim Palmer. That guy is awesome. He sends me stuff all the time. 
you know, he's, he's phenomenal. You need to talk to him. He's a great guy. And if Jim didn't stay top of mind, I might not remember his name. I not, might not remember who he was, might not be able to refer him. And so that, that's another reason why follow-up is so important. Stay top of mind. You want to, to be in your circle of influence McDon- what McDonald's is in the world. If you're playing word association and somebody sell, says hamburger, the immediate response is McDonald's. And it's not because McDonald's has the best hamburgers in the world or the best food in the world. It's because they have advertised and they've stayed top of mind and everybody knows what the golden arches are. And uh, since they stay top of mind, when you say hamburger, it uh, it means McDonald's. And in Jim's sphere of influence, I know for a fact when you say marketing, it's Jim Bomber. And hopefully in the sales arena, when you think of sales coaching, you think of Hugh, the sales wizard. So that's just some of my thoughts about follow-up, Jim. I appreciate that. Man, this is like a real primer course condensed into a little 28-minute interview. Um, I'm going to have to have you back on the show, Hugh. I didn't get to most of my questions, but the clock dictates my schedule these days. I um, know, uh, and people... I would love to come back again. That would be great. We will definitely do that. How can people uh, connect with you, get uh, get more training from you? Maybe they want to get your book. What, what's a good resource or website to go? They could go to redcapsalescoaching.com. And down at the bottom of the home page, there's something that they'll want to check out no matter what kind of business they're in. And, and there's there's a couple of programs, free programs, that are specifically for for chiropractors and coaches, but the one for coaches is applicable really to any service-based business. And it's a series of three free videos on how to answer objections. So I would just encourage people to take advantage of that, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Now, are these videos talking videos, or are they actually got you on camera there? Me on camera. Talking to well, you. Well, damn, everybody needs to go now. Now we got to see what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today. I greatly appreciate it. Jim, I appreciate it so much. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special episode of Dream Business Radio. Thanks again to the Dream Business Academy for sponsoring this show. Get, remember, you get $100 off your uh, registration, your early discounted registration when you use the coupon code podcast at checkout. That's at dreambizacademy.com, dreambizacademy.com. Thank you to my editor's assistants, all the Dream Team members who make looking what I do look so doggone easy. <laughs> of course, it probably sounds that way too, but Hugh, thanks again. Everybody, I'll check you next week for another great episode of Dream Business Radio. You take good care. 